Welcome to Cloudlandia. Well, 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 wow. well welcome to Cloudlandia. A voice from the past. But How are you, sir? Uh, but always in my mind. Comforting. Yeah, always. Now, in my mind. Yes, comfort, comforting. Now, now you know, like I, I have a back. question to ask you. Okay. The music that starts the podcast. It has a Phil Spector quality to it. Was there any connection? I wonder if there was. It's Rick Astley. No, so, the, just the lead-in, just the lead-in oh, in the orchestration. It, I don't know. Uh, had sort of that, re- you know, he used that group, the Wrecking Crew. Right. Phil Spector did in Hollywood. And, you know, long story not to get into here, but there's a certain... I I listened to about five hours of Phil Spector music, Pandora, and there's very definitely, it's either directly Phil Spector or certainly someone who had been kind of influenced by Phil Spector. Well, that was his, he was known for what they called the wall of sound. That was his... uh, big thing and that mm-hmm. really filled it all in yeah that's interesting i've never mm-hmm. heard like i never heard a collection of his influence yeah well he was a big deal the beatles used him i mean yeah. they actually used him on some of the songs and you know i mean he was the you know he was a frustrating presence in the rock and roll universe in the 60s because nobody knew quite how he did it you know, okay. they, they, they couldn't, people tried to get this sound and they couldn't get the sound. Like it was full orchestra uh, sound. And uh, there's actually a great documentary on YouTube. If you go there, they'll actually show the session at which they created Be My Baby, which, you know, which is probably the most famous purely yeah. Phil Spector with, with the Ronettes. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love it. Well, Glenn, uh, Glenn Campbell. Well, here's a historical thing. Glenn Campbell was a studio guitarist for Phil Spector uh, okay. as part of the Wrecking Crew, and uh, and Sonny and Cher were uh, chorus singers, chorus singers for his early work. Isn't that funny when you go way back to see where people were influenced or where they? began and like Cher was 18. Cher, yeah. Cher was like 18 years old. Yeah. Know? She was brought in as a backup yeah. singer to the Ronettes. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and the Ronnie Spector just died yeah. about two weeks ago. Uh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. So, wow. Yeah. 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 Wow. Well, where do we even start then? There's so the world's a completely different place since we last spoke. Yeah, well, I'm trying to think here. Well, let's, you went back to... Uh, yeah, well, some just saying the things relate to things that relate to mainland. We're just off to our... How was your travel best experience? First two. It was good, except for the airplanes. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> except every part of the travel experience was good, except the experience that involved airplanes. Yeah. Uh, and not because they're doing anything especially bad. Right. It's just that I have a sudden awareness that they were always doing things bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I right. hadn't quite realized until I got until I got back. You know, they waste yeah. a lot of they waste a lot of time and energy and uh-huh. you know, and and it's not that I can do it better 
faster any other any other way right at the moment. But it does lead me to believe that all airplane travel in my future really has to have a special payoff for me right. to do it. Yes. Yeah. So that would that I, would be a first. I, I, that would be a first chip or card that I would yeah. put on the plane table for this uh-huh. particular podcast. I'm showing you an experience and I'm raising you. Yeah. Well, I've just passed the this last week here, the two year mark now from my last plane journey, which was in Scottsdale for the free zone summit. That was the last time mm-hmm. I was on a plane. And yeah, two years. That's you know, it's gone quickly. You realize yeah. how probably fast. goes back to early childhood. Probably goes to back to way Charlie Highway uh, high because your father was in the Air Force, and I have a feeling yeah. that you moved around a bit. Yeah, probably yeah I've by, never been by airplane. We were doing the yeah. We were doing. I was just doing the calculations. Like, there's never been a two-year period in my entire life where I've been grounded, you know, that's, you know, I, for all the whole while, I mean, my, like you said, my dad was in the air force. We moved around. He was a pilot, had, a, you know, flew small planes. So we would fly around when I was very young. Then even all through everything I can remember, we were always coming to Florida because my dad's uh, family was here. Then when I was playing tennis, as I got more and more advanced, I was coming down here for training and tournaments and playing all the time and then split my time for many years from 1999, you know, on spending seven months in Florida, five months in Toronto. And so these two years have been, you know, two years that I haven't been in Canada. Mm-hmm. Isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen or laid eyes on Dan Sullivan in two years as well. Yeah. Well, well I won't disappoint you. I won't disappoint you when you see me. No, of course not. So when you, this trip, no. you were. You I, I haven't out. just. I just haven't let myself go to the. You know, right. I, mean, I just haven't given well, myself over like to the. Yeah, I mean, I talk to you every week. I see, but you we've communicated absolutely more yeah. fully during yeah. this period of time. I agree, and, and so that's what's important. Yeah, in my world, that's what's important is the communication. Yeah. That's not that's the, exactly right. I mean, I'm I'm pretty cool about physical, you know, physical presence and physical location. I'm not opposed to it, but uh, right. I don't seem to have a thought after two years of mostly doing just virtual communication yeah. that it would have been any better if it had been in present. Right. I agree. I just did my, I had my Go Agent Academy yesterday, mm-hmm. which you've, you've come to a couple of them. In the yeah, Toronto. I've come as a speaker. That's yeah. right. And then so That's yesterday, right. Saturday, Friday, we had our our day. So that was all virtual and it was wonderful. We did the mm-hmm. breakout sessions and the uh, it, perfect format. Everybody got a lot out of it and it was effortless. You know, you don't know, mm-hmm. no organizing the 
hotel. No, the the impact of it was so mm-hmm. uh, much less. So things are yeah. getting better like that. So your trip, this trip, you were in. Yeah, we you started out in California. San Diego. We went yep. went to San Diego, like Carlsbad. Actually, we were yeah. a little bit north of San Diego. We went to a very interesting doctor referred to us by. Richard Rossi, who has a, what I consider to be a, I mean, we'll know in about three months because we're going back and get tested. But what he says it can do does Nobel Prize territory. Wow. And, uh, and he's linking up with someone who's become famous over the last couple of years. And the topic I'm referring to here is age reversal. Yeah. And, and so he's, teamed up with David Sinclair, who you may know through, he's on YouTube a lot, and he yeah. wrote a book, uh, Life, Lifespan, and, uh, you know, has in, through the means of his cl- clinics at Harvard, has, has made fundamental breakthroughs in taking mice and aging them on one track, and then reversing their aging on another track, you know, through the use of, you know, various, various, you know, things that are inside of us, stem cell type things and some outside things. And so the two of them have teamed up now to do a whole series of tests proving you can turn a human age reversal into a predictable pattern. Yeah. Such that every time there was a procedure within the next two or three months, there would be a reversal of three three years. Wow! On average, a reversal of three years. So, um, so Babs and I went through delightful man, just a absolutely delightful man, who's the head doctor. He's got a great team, and they so did simply you do a treatment, or were you? Exploring. I uh, do a treatment. Treatment. You did it. Combine the lasers that yeah. he has created, yeah. and he's he's like a fifty-year-old. Since he was ten years old, he's in his sixties. So yeah, uh, he's been experimenting with the impact of laser frequencies, bringing to life certain things that are dormant in our bloodstream, and once you bring them to life, they go to work repairing everything in your body. So he reinserts the <clears throat> the laserized blood, part of the blood, not all the blood. He takes the plasma out and simply gives you the very thin, you know, sort of the thin liquid, and it goes right. back in. And then it goes to everywhere in your body mm-hmm. where cells have gone to sleep or cells have you know, are just not doing their job and it wakes yeah. them up and yeah. puts, them, puts them back to work. So, but one of his, one of his interesting tests is Mike Tyson. So Mike Tyson's 53 years old. And over the last 15 years, he got terribly out of shape. He was, I think, 100 pounds overweight. And part of the reason why he had stopped fighting was he had a permanently painful toe, and one of it, I'm not sure, right or left toe. Right. And so to kind of convince him of something, this Dr. Todd, he just goes by his first name, Dr. Todd, 
and had simply done the procedure with, with the laser treatment blood. And within a matter of a day, all the pain was gone and it never came back. Really? So that wow. motivated. And Mike Tyson's back in fighting shape now and he's back wow. into the official stream. And he's 53 years old. And the George wow. Foreman, who is friendly with Mike Tyson, said that he hasn't seen him better. So it'll be interesting. That's kind of one of those high credibility. Yeah, right. Um, Russ, you know, if he comes yeah. back and wins the world heavyweight championship, wait a minute 54, now. 50, 50, 55. And he's, there's no noticeable difference between him and his best 30 years ago and the way he is right now. Then you've got, you've got people's attention. Well, there was nothing like Mike Tyson in the eighties. So, I mean, those one punch no. things. I mean, it was just something. Nobody. He's got a great line. I'm. I'm not sure. I'm quoting him, and he says, yeah. uh, "Everybody has a plan until I punch them in the face." That's exactly. Right. Well, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody has a plan, really... uh, plan until I pu- until I punch them in the face. <laughs> you know? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he was saying. Everybody's got a blueprint. Everybody's got the. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that was uh, so that was a very worthwhile beginning of an experiment. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, so we it'll be three months. We'll go back at the end of April to test, and you know, and we'll have some proof. We'll have some proof by then. And yeah, and uh, then spent some really good time with Paul Abel from our network, and he lives in Los in in San Diego and then with Mike and yeah. Vivian. Yeah. yeah. So we had a really nice meal at their house and flew uh-huh. off then to, to Tucson and had Shannon Waller and her husband come and join us. And yeah. Kim White joined us as guests and did a week there. Very cold. Jeez, boy, it was cold. In, in, uh, in Tucson. Tucson. It was like in. Oh, Tucson. Oh, no, in yeah. under Tucson. I mean, it, it got down to into the 20s at night. So oh my I'm talking goodness. Fahrenheit there. And that gets like into your You know, get up, to, get up to 50, 55 during the day. But then yeah. we were up to Scottsdale, and Scottsdale was nice and warm. And, you know, we had a great, had a great Genius Network visit, uh, yeah. a personal visit with Joe and with Cherie. Yeah. And, uh, and learned, learned about Joe's new town that he yeah. bought. Did you go uh, to Cleeter? No, we did not. Only through Joe's imagination, I, we were mm. only able to travel there. He did videos, and but uh, is now a, a mayor, former <laughs> oh, yeah. town. Yes, and, and yeah, I think that's something you know. Those guys, that but that's for everybody listening. Just Joe Polish and uh, a little group of friends bought a small town in Arizona, out in the middle of nowhere, basically. Former gold mining town. Former gold mining town. Cleeter, Arizona. And it has uh, the right kind of name to come to life as something new. You know, Cleeter, I mean, Cleeter, that's just a a really good name there. Nothing pretentious about Cleeter. Nothing pretentious about Cleeter, you know. It's not like it's Blossomville or something like that, you know. And then they've got the bar and yacht club, too. They do have the, the bar and yacht club. Yeah. Cleaner bar and yacht club with six thousand yeah. something members. 
That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And now what I recommended to them, because Jason Campbell, who's, you know, he's a member, he's the sheriff. And I said immediately that his goal should be to create the single biggest sheriff's department in the entire world. And uh, deputy, you can become a deputy. uh, Yeah. This would be an NFT. Yeah. An NFT, $2,000. Two thousand times twenty thousand that would give them plenty of operating capital to go on yeah. forward and yeah. my my suggestion was that every holder of a deputy's credentials in Cleeter has to make the trip at least once every three years you You have yeah. to actually go probably it would take place in the Cleeter yacht uh, the bar and yacht club yeah. and yeah. uh You'd have to go back there, and then you get three more years for another two thousand dollars. To um, I love that to do. Yeah, I love. But it. I, I think I think if Joe had not taken his sabbatical before doing this, I think it would get lost in a lot of other things that Joe's doing. But I mm-hmm. sense a complete freshness to his approach to things right now that yeah. gives Cleeter a real chance to. Um, benefit from Joe's creativity. Yeah. I mean, that's, that'd be great. Yeah. That's, I can't wait to watch it all unfold. It's fun to see. Yeah. Yeah. And then we came back here and there's a war, mainland um, war. <laughs> that is something too. Yeah. This is and um, it's not quite going. It's not quite going the way that I think the Russians planned. I'm, just following the news feeds on the internet and they I don't I don't know what they were thinking you know I think it's easy to start a war it's very hard to unstart a war once you've started it yes yeah like this is forever changed right now you know you look at that I, I don't even know what to uh, say because you can't even imagine what it's like to be in Ukraine right now and all of a sudden, mm-hmm. there's, they're bombing and they're, you know, I always think like Ukraine, from everything I've seen in it, of it, it's not unlike Ontario in a lot of ways, you know, in this, the geography and the climate and rolling hills and that kind of things. But you imagine you're just there and bombs start coming, you know, can't even imagine. Yeah, and even though the you know the the in just in terms of sheer number of troops, the Russians have massive 150,000. I think they was the number that they started yeah. with at the border, 150,000. But the Ukrainians have been waiting for this. They've been preparing for this for eight years at least because the Russians from, from took here, over. Yeah took over one section of uh, yeah. Ukraine eight yeah. years ago. So the the Ukrainian military in that has been preparing for this. And they do know every square inch of their own territory, which yeah. is an advantage. The other thing we're, they're discovering is that these aren't crack troops that the Russians sent. These are conscripts. And they have very, you know, it's very hard to get a handle on you know, casualty rates and death rates because they tend to get exaggerated for 
um, propaganda purposes on both sides tend, yeah. tend to do it. But my sense is that they've really, they've suffered probably pretty severe casualties, the Russians have. Yeah. And part, part of the reason is that the weapons that the Ukrainians are using are top-notch, state-of-the-art British and U.S. anti-tank guns, because the tanks are the real issue, the tanks. Yeah. You know, and apparently, you know, I was watching a military expert. He said, these new weapons that we have, he says, it's one of our weapons against one of our tanks. And afterwards, we still have our one weapon, weapon, but they don't have their tank. He says, once we sight them and push the button, the tank is dead. And he says, they've got 2,000 of them, Mm 2,000 of these weapons. And the other thing is that, uh, apparently, the Russians have no. The Russians have no night fighting. They have no night fighting equipment. They have no. Okay. They have no visors because it isn't just having the piece of equipment you know, see in the dark equipment. Yeah. It's a kind of a communications network where everybody has the visors. You know, they can see in the night, but there's just a complete communication. With everybody, including they have um, drones that they send up, little drones, you know, foot-long yeah. drones. They're not, uh, but right. they're little. And at nighttime, they have um, infrared sensors. They have infrared sensors, and they can sense a tank a mile off, and they can fire the tank weapon, and it happens in the night. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, the tank just goes up you in flames up and more more tanks gone right that's something yeah that whole yeah um, so they the, so the big the big thing and it's not a small country i mean the population of ukraine four million is, yeah uh, 45 50. i heard but, okay uh, okay is it 54 did you look I it up uh, it was just the number but that's bigger than canada you know it's right. just seven million more than canada and yeah. the territory is twice the size of Texas. Yeah. The, that's the size of Texas. So it's yeah. a big area. It's a big area. And it's mostly agricultural. It's not a big urbanized country. And so anyway, but my sense is that if it's revealed that all the threat of Russian military power proved false, that they're not really very good. They've been away from it, you know, for a long time, you know, a long time. For fighting this kind of war, the Russians have been doing this kind of stuff for 40, 50 years. And, you know, I just don't think they they really have the people that can pull this off. And uh, But it, it sort of suggests that if they're not militarily as strong, as they've claimed to be, or everybody's thought them to be. All sorts of other people get ideas about what you can get away with by just t- telling the Russians to go screw it. Well, I don't know. So, you know, it's it's an interesting um, dynamic if you think about the you know the Russians. They're not in their country. They're invading something under. Even they must realize mm-hmm. that Putin is a little bit off and that there's not any real they must there's a whole different vibe than being 
in Ukraine and fighting off aggressors to save your country. That level of like investment emotionally in it has got to favor Ukraine on that level. That was like the, yeah, you just don't know. They're not going to have the, they're not going to have the heart for it. The, the Russians, right. The other, the other thing we're in the 21st, we're in the 21st century, the cloud, when the Soviet union collapsed in 1991, it was just at the very beginning of the internet. You know, things tear down this wall. Yeah. Tear down this wall. And whereas the Russians have adopted the Internet for hacking purposes, you know, they turned it into a hacking, you know, hacking weapon and, you know, a a means of thievery. I don't think they applied that to their armed forces. I don't think they took the knowledge and applied it to their armed for to Mm. their army, their Navy. And meanwhile, The other, certainly the British, the Americans, the Israelis, the Japanese, they've all applied it to all their military operations, their land soldiers, their Air Force, their Navy, special units, like, you know, the special forces uh, units. And they're using this type of technology to fight their battles, you know, they're there. But the other thing is, even beyond that, it's, this system of SWIFT, which I'd never really come across before. Uh, did you read about that? Did you read about SWIFT? No. It's an acronym, no, S-W-I-F-T. It's essentially the social network that holds together the international banking system. Okay. 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 So there's transactions that happen in the banking system, and that's the... You know, that's kind of like the stuff of the communication. But then their SWIFT provides the bankers talking back and forth to bankers and making sure, you know, that if the money is the content, they're kind of telling the context of the money, the story of the money, why okay. the, you know, and what this represents and what the legal backing is for the money and everything else. And all that is communicated by SWIFT. Okay. And it's, about 11,000 major banking organizations, not banks, yeah. but banking organizations. Right. In the world. I've heard the word. And, I've heard the word. And, yeah. Yeah. And if <laughs> your bank isn't on it, you're writing letters and putting stamps on them, sending them by the mail for wow. every transaction. And so I think starting last night, the U.S., the U.K., and the EU have decided that they're going to start pinpointing certain banks in Russia, and they're out of the system. They're out of the system and probably won't be allowed to come back into the system. And what my sense is that they've got probably a four-stage. These are the ones that are we know are doing, you know, dodgy things okay yeah. and they're connected to the high leadership in the in the russian hierarchy putin at yeah. the top and any bank connected to putin no nah, they can't be in the system and then his next 20 cronies no nah, they can't be in the banking system at all and then all the producers of russian vodka all the 
manufacturers, uh-huh. the banks that they deal with in Russia. No, they can't be in the system. And they just, every day, they just say, well, okay, next level, you're not in this. After a certain point, your country is cut off from the I international. That sets up a, you know, are we going to have alternate systems for stuff? Like, that, that reminds me of what's happening since we last talked. You probably, Neil Young was uh, a, you know, objector to Joe Rogan spreading what he decided was misinformation and told Spotify, there's only room for one of us. You can have me or you can have Joe Rogan. And Spotify said. I turned out, that turned out to be an easy decision for Spotify. Exactly. (laughs) But without, I mean, it's just kind of, it's funny that where we've come to now is that we only want to hear voices that now here's that, where our here's yeah. where our you know here's where our cloudlandia conversation yeah. up until now we've been talking about mainland stuff but now and this was all news to me and you know my eyes perked up my ears perked yeah. up and I, I said okay now we're into the new world we're really into a new world when this becomes now the weapon for hopefully preventing a war, mainland yeah. war. The other thing is stopping the mainland war. And number three, punishing the aggressors so badly that, uh, you know, you may take them out of financial existence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it is interesting. So the, that whole... uh, apparently, uh, yeah, but the big thing is the clincher is that 90% of all transactions worldwide, this is transactions, period, anybody exchanging anything for anything, you know, using currency, 90% of it is in U.S. dollars. Right. Is that right, Dan? All commerce, all commercial transactions in the world every day, 90%. Is determined in U.S. dollar payments. Wow, okay. that's something. It's five. Uh, five. Uh, I checked with David Serber, who's my yeah. my my personal go into financial things, and he said that it's five point four trillion dollars a day. That's the amount of finance total amount of financial transactions per day is five point four trillion dollars and 90% of that is in 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 US dollar currency amazing that's amazing so what i'm saying is that there is a and by the same token the daily bitcoin transactions per day right now are 10 billion dollars a day 10 billion well that's while we're spouting numbers i just read that the year end the annual metaverse real estate sales last year were $500 million of virtual real estate was sold in the metaverse Mm -hmm. last year. And they're marking that as the, you know, let's put it on the board now. And of course that number is only going to go up, up as people start to realize the value of geographic location stuff and that I, I really i start to see that now when i put it in perspective of you know what Fortnite was able to do there's going to be high destined high traffic 
areas on the internet that you're gonna that that are gonna want to go to. And it's pretty mm-hmm. it's an interesting. It's a really interesting world, you know. That's the the guy EXP real estate has become kind of mm-hmm. this Cloudlandia based. Yeah, but he's real selling real estate. But he was selling real estate. Yes, real estate exactly. But I yeah. point that out. Yeah, he was they, selling real. They've really invested in the metaverse for their their platform for all of their agents. They have a training center in their campus where you everything happens there on the in the metaverse that way. But they just bought Success magazine, which is interesting. The way the, the different things that these that he the moves that he's making. Yeah, it's personally, I'm just talking as Dan Sullivan, full-bodied human. It's hard for me to understand why there's any enjoyment in this, you know, because it seems to me it's entirely visual. It's entirely visual. It's Mm -hmm. that there, there's no other sensory, you know, sensory aspect to this. You can't, I mean, when you're walking around in it, you don't feel like you're walking around with it. I mean, your feet aren't on the ground. You don't feel the ground. No. no. So I'm wondering uh, what it is about the nervous system of people who think that this is the next form of human existence, that you're going to well, be in the metaverse. I'm not really... No, I'm just trying to understand because I can't yeah. comprehend why I would, for a minute, put goggles on my face to be someplace... And, you know, it, it just because yeah, I, I tried it, gonna, you know, I went through a whole day of it yeah. at A360 and yeah. I, w- I was bored silly within about yeah. 15 minutes and I was out of out of there. So I, yeah. I'm trying to comprehend why this is an attractive possibility. Yeah, I think I'm not going to. I'm not saying it isn't. I'm not saying it isn't. I'm saying I'm not comprehending. Yeah, I think we're going to land. Dan is. I don't think that the headsets are going to be the the thing. I think we're going to end up with bigger, super high resolution monitors. Like imagine where you sit to look at your Zoom uh, things there. But imagine behind that is like a uh, big vanity mirror, like the makeup, you know, at a, theater kind of thing with the lights around it and the things but that pane of glass there as a window into what's on the other side so it's like you're sitting in an environment looking through that glass that i believe that's where we're gonna head up that you and i would be able to recreate table 10 in an immersive kind of way more than like zoom is pretty close Mm -hmm. to that right now but imagine there are other levels of that right like a richer deeper fidelity Mm -hmm. to it and i think that we got a glimpse of it when clubhouse came out because clubhouse really solved the audio intimacy environment like you did feel like it was a really good 
audio environment, right? Like you would hear people really like you were there with them. I think it was really well done. Better than telephone or a two-dimensional kind of thing. There was a dimensionality to, to the thing. And I think that if you imagine with that window kind of window to the world technology, that <clears throat> imagine if you've got like box seats to the Met or the wherever, whatever would be the best seat in the house for certain environments. And you can be mm -hmm. there to watch a live, a truly live performance. But instead of you having the only chance to sit in that seat, there could be millions of people that are sitting in that exact seat. So everybody's got a front row ticket to a really intimate concert like that. You know, and that, that was where you've seen that happening already in Clubhouse or in uh, mm -hmm. Fortnite mm -hmm. and these gaming um, systems. So I think that's really the two dimensional. I'm like you, I don't think a helmet is going to be the ultimate winner. I'd rather see in my Zoom room, I'd rather see that wall be a complete like a hollow deck you know like you see what tony robbins you know, some of the people are doing the big events for big virtual <laughs> events are doing big led walls that are complete definition now you can also <clears throat> where there's also technology now to do a 3d scan of your you your digital image not a um, cartoonish one, but your mm -hmm. real holographic image. But I think that technology is going to come. So imagine almost like sitting across or in a room where people are sitting at a boardroom thing and you feel like you're really in the boardroom with them. That. Mm -hmm. I think that's yeah. where it could. Can I ask you what you think the motivation would be on the part of people that would be more attractive than being where they actually were? You know, and I'm just striking because I'm sitting in my basement, which I really like. Yeah. And I'm, you're I sitting like on, you said you're, that you really like having a, a reproduction of this somewhere else. You know, in other words, they technologically process my room. And I'm um, yeah. someplace else, and they allow me to have that. But <clears throat> yeah. One is, I don't know whether that would be of any interest to me or not. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe I no, just I like being in the other place for, mm -hmm. you know, because what I notice when I get to any place, I kind of normalize that place in about two or three days of walking around. Yeah. And yeah. I and found the new neat things about the new place I have and I kind of settle in the new place. And yeah. so, you know, it, it, it's because of what I've done to the space that I like it, not because of what it's done to me. Right. You know, it's yeah. So I don't know. Uh, I do know that if there's a great genius of the metaverse, it's not going to be the person who named his company meta. <laughs> 
You don't think? We're, we're getting there, right? No, I think he's going to be in some very real mainland courtrooms. I think he's going to oh, spend a lot of time in, in his court, like court, courtrooms. You know, I, th- yeah. I think he's had a good play. Like he's had like a, yeah. a, now a 20 year play, a 20 year play. And, but he's kind of like uh, Bill Gates with Windows, you know? He was onto a good thing. He had great timing. He had great insight. But I don't think he's got much insight for anything else. I, I mean, I think he's less impressive now than he was probably when he was 19 or 20. He's had his one big thing, and yeah. something else is going to. And probably the person who's going to invent it is probably 14 right now. Right. That's what I think is the gap right now. The thing that all the development in the metaverse has been happening below our surface, right? Like it's this this world Mm -hmm. is there because the gaming world, television and movies in terms of the economy of it and hours spent on it. I mean, it's immersive, you know, that whole generation who are, digital native who've never known anything but this, they're going to Mm -hmm. naturally gravitate to an evolution of where are we going to go rather than go and, you know, play in the playground that we're going to, you know, move over to being at the nightclubs and in the, you can imagine there being a, almost like a Las Vegas, strip type of place destination on the internet with entertainment uh, choices of all of the. Yeah. I mean, I was reading, I was reading a series of international thriller novels and it was six books and it was about the Chinese actually making a concerted attempt to defeat, overthrow and overrun the United States using essentially high technology weapons and and the only thing I can say at the at the end of book six, the Chinese fail abysmally because because it's not appropriate for them speaking as a reader of these kind of books that they should win in the end. And of course, the United States right. wins in the end, which makes me feel very satisfied from the reading experience. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. You, you don't really want to read about a thrilling future that turns out not to be a happy thing for yourself at the end. And apparently, but one of the last things is that the U.S. has these jets, the F-35s, and it gave, and I have to check out with some people who know how, you know, how realistic the experience, but they said when the F-35 flight, so this would be a flight maybe of about six to 12 planes, are up on mission. The pilots all experience themselves as part of the same game board. Okay. Like they don't have the experience of being inside their jets and the other pilots being inside their jets. They experience themselves all connected to each other on the same game board. And the enemy planes are seen as, you know, as, you know, as objects, threatening objects coming in on the same game game board. Right. And the most of the action is really done with their eyes. Okay. Yeah. They have to train and train and train and they're doing these eyes. My sense of that probably already exists or is in the process of, of being realized. Okay. 
and any other area in warfare, whether it's on the water, whether it's on the land, whether it involves tanks, I, I got to believe that the type of technology is being used. Can totally grasp the the, uh, the importance of that. Totally grasp mm-hmm. the impact. But and gamers totally understand it. It's competition. They have leagues. They have money payouts. They have reputations. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Totally understand it there. But just every everyday average people getting involved in this, you know, you got money, you got time and everything else. What are you doing it for? I mean, yeah. I, I just don't understand what the motivation. I can understand motivation, total motivation in those other areas and, and right. industrial uses where yeah. you can be walking around in an actual building 5,000 miles away and you're seeing every component of that building Okay, I, I totally understand that. So that's kind of my sense is that's already exists. Yeah, uh, that aspect of the metaverse, and it's not really known all that much to the people who are talking about it. Like you can own this amount of real estate and everything like that. Because I don't know if you own it. I don't see what the ownership means in an area like this. Right. I mean, what do you own? <laughs> well, you can own the only <laughs> one of something. I mean, that's really your know, digital proof of it. You know, I think that's the whole. Yeah. That, that's where the NFT things are coming in. Well, I am going to become a deputy of the Cleater Sheriff's Department. I will tell you that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Why wouldn't we be? I will be too. There we go. Deputy Dan, Deputy Dean. <laughs> We can make we could be a great we, buddy. We could be a buddy cop uh, story. Deputy Dan and you know cleaning up the streets of Cleaterville. If you see the one, you know the others there because Deputy Dan and Deputy Dean only show up together. That's right. You see, <laughs> the dynamic <laughs> duo. Oh, yeah. this is good. Well, we're making something real here yeah. for sure. Yeah, but my my sense is, you know, that I had uh, another thought of it because we had our famous, our boy prime minister here in Canada. I tried to, you know, do something kind of bad to the country and then was forced to backstep on it that he, with his emergency act, and which deputized Mm -hmm. the banking system of Canada to freeze, uh, seize and freeze the bank accounts of individual Canadians who in any way were connected with the truck convoy, which embarrassed the prime minister in, in, in the nation's capital. Yeah. And, uh, and he was so frustrated. He was so angry that he he, he said, I'm going, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, going to get my revenge against these truckers. So what happened in this, I'm just giving you what I'm learning from various strengths. Immediately, the banking system of Canada within the next three or four days, they lost all their cash reserves every day. People just withdrawing all their money as fast as they could in cash. And the banks had to call the prime minister and says, you know, this is a terrible thing you've done to the banking system of Canada, you know, mm. and everything like that. 
who I believe he didn't consult before he issued anyway. But that's kind of interesting, you know, kind of, it's kind of, because the, uh, uh, it's an interesting thing because the money they had was digital money until they walk into the mainland bank and they say, I want all my digital money back into paper money. Right. Yeah. And and they didn't have it. They didn't have it on hand because they're only required under the law to have 10% of their, right. you know, it's a 10% of cash yeah. reserve. Right, right. Yeah. Any, any, anyway, and he had, to, you know, he, he had to beat a hasty retreat, you know, and, and everything like that, you know. So it, it's kind of interesting that you're starting to see some neat little intersections between the Cloudlandia and the mainland. Yeah, that's the growing pains, right? Like we're at that, the the ground hasn't settled. Yeah. We've had this collision yeah. and it's overtaking now. It's like the tectonic plates of the Cloudlandia are making their way onto the surface of the mainland yeah. and they're still driving in that collision and they haven't settled yeah. in where it's going to be. You know, I mean, we, it's working in certain ways in that the our, we've got a fully mature e-commerce system basics in place where yeah. we can buy anything and get it delivered to our house. That's all, you know, that's all fantastic and game changing. Mm-hmm. But it's this, you know, it's the gateway thing that combine physical mainland things mm-hmm. with digital things that are, I don't know whether they're the, they're problematic or the opportunity. I need to do some noodling, like think about that in terms of where the, because examples like mainland to mainland, there's a lot of stability and in those. And and trust, you know, I mean, that's confirmed trust. And, but I do feel, I'm just kind of trying to come up, you know, like I studied Euclid and I really like Euclid because he's got basic axioms and the axiom number one is correct and you axiom number two is correct and you put axiom one and axiom uh, two together there's a good basis that axiom number three is going to be solid too and that's with geometry you know that's that's working out in geometry and i was uh, thinking there's kind of some funny reverse laws axioms for the crossover between the mainland and the my feeling is that if you're proven to be an idiot in the mainland it's probably going to be exponentially true in the in the cloudlandia yeah i think that's true idiots on one side are probably going to be idiots in the other (laughs) universal that's true. They're, yeah, they go back and forth. Universe. This is the law of universal idiot to it. <laughs> <laughs> now we're getting somewhere. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I'm an axiomatic guy. I, I like sound buildings. You know, I want building stones that are solid. You know, they all, well, they you all know, stand Dan, up to a heavy load. Nobody is. I don't think anybody appointed Euclid to the position of having his insights. I think we could just up, take that position and start making your insights. We could just declare it. That's what I mean. 
You know, yeah. one of the greatest things yeah, was- at the the annual event or the Joe's reunion event, I think one of the highlights of the thing was Steve Sims in his talk in the uh, great. He was great that his thing, he told the story of how he was, the things he's been able to pull off, like getting Andrea Bocelli to sing at a small dinner party at the feet of David. Next to the statue of David. Next to the statue of David. And asking, how did I pull that off? Andrea Bocelli said, well, nobody's ever asked me. And how many things are, that was, I think, the big thing. How many things are you holding yourself back from by just not asking? You know, or even imagining them. I've been breaking down my imagine if you applied yourself, Dan, to parsing it out. Imagine is the first part of it. And I think that most of us don't have a crystal clear vision for the things that we would do if we could apply ourselves. Yeah. I think there's something to that. If you can get to, like you did, you spent 25 years writing every day in a journal, what do I want? Yeah. That's that same kind of thing. Except for 12 days. There's 9,100. 9,131 days in 25 uh, years, and that accounts that accounts for six leap days. Yeah. You know, yeah. the extra day every four. So it was 9,131, and, I, think, and I, I did it in 9,119 days. Yeah, I did that. I don't think people, I don't think, Dan, that most people have had 12 occasions, period, where they've asked themselves, what do I want? It any thought or mm-hmm. imagination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, I'll tell you, it doesn't make you want everything. <laughs> no. <laughs> it makes you want certain things very much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you get yeah, clear. I, that... I think. Yeah. Well, it's really funny because I had a offer when I was at Genius in impact filter form those of the listeners who this is a you know just a classic very important thinking tool in strategic coach so someone who had been he hadn't been with me but someone who had been uh, in strategic coach came up with a perfectly typed out impact filter and gave it to me that's and he represents a group that is planning a worldwide, I think, coaching organization, okay, where they're going to take the best of that already exists and enroll them within the overall platform, and then they'll have worldwide marketing capabilities. And, and you know, and he gave it to me, and I read it, and I read it through. You know, it was a well-done impact filter. And I, I got to the end, and I said, well, I, I will tell you right off the bat, I see very clearly why this would be good for you. That's true. Okay. And, yeah, and it's because of a certain clarity I have about what, you know, Babs and I have put together in collaboration with over 20,000 entrepreneurs and our team members. And that is, and this is something when you come to, 
your next free zone, whether it's a connector, whether it's, we have one coming up in two weeks in March, and it'll be in Chicago, and it'll be live, you know, we're out. All the mandate stuff goes off tomorrow morning in Illinois and Chicago. So we'll be back to completely free workshops in Chicago in two weeks. So, and, but what I've understand now that there's a basic organizational form and I'm picking it up from all the high tech firms, the tech firms that have been really successful. They have exactly the same organizational form. So I'm thinking this is something that's heading towards a world where Cloudlandia is going to play a bigger and bigger part. Mm-hmm. And that is you have three three levels to an organization. I'll start at the top. That fundamentally, the most important thing is that you have a very durable, constantly deepening, constantly expanding platform that your business actually represents a platform. Yeah. And then as supporting the platform, think of them as sort of pillars are various kinds of programs, various kinds of programs. And Mm -hmm. this is the value of the platform being applied to different people for different reasons. Right. But very durable. And, And then feeding the pillars are a constant, never ending an unpredictable uh, succession of shortcuts. Mm-hmm. These are intellectual shortcuts. Yeah. And the shortcuts make the platforms more valuable and the those more valuable, you know, programs make the overall platform more mighty. They mm-hmm. make it a mighty platform. Okay, so that and what I realized in all of that, my only personal interest is constantly creating new shortcuts. Like, yeah. you know, I'm not a program builder and I'm not, you know, the platform is whatever the platform at the top is whatever is of interest for me to build at the, at the bottom. And I, mm-hmm. so I've been testing with free zone and with 10, 10, 10 times workshops. I've tested about four times right now. And there's a formula that shortcuts times programs equals platforms. So it's very Euclidean, very mm. Euclidean. Yeah. Okay. And the reason is because shortcuts are just new things that you're thinking of every day. Right. Wow. Wow. That would knock out three steps here. You know, if we did yeah. it this way, yeah. we could achieve this with three years. So, oh, this is a shortcut, you know. Yeah, it's a shortcut, you know, everything like that. So, and my sense is that you can establish this on any business establishment. In other words, you can say, you don't see that your company looks like this, but we can show you if you just keep this in mind, that all the really important stuff you do contributes to the diagram of the platform and everything that you're doing as a business that doesn't really contribute as a shortcut, as a program, and as the platform That's itself def- probably isn't worth spending any more time on. That's definitely the way I look at the eight profit activators. That it's that oh, yeah. level of, yeah, they're all shortcuts totally. to fill the mm-hmm. universal shortcuts. Look, yeah. Euclid lived in 300 BC in Alexandria. Yeah. And if we got you to the right place then, and we got you to the right room, and you went in and with a translator said, you know, 
can I tell you something? You're talking about architecture and you're talking about other things. I want to tell you about money. And I have to tell you, this is what you're doing with angles and circles and triangles and everything like this is what I'm doing with money. And he say, oh, yes, indeed. First principles. Yes. That's exciting. (laughs) I love it. Well, Dan. So, and so my sense that the type of people who have historically become important in the mainland over 10,000 years, we have history, 10,000 years, people who have become historically important, and they are historically famous in a positive way because they created new things that made life more successful and enjoyable for other people. Those exact same kind of people will be historically remembered in Cloudlandia. That's awesome. Yeah, that's what I think. (laughs) (laughs) That's I love. uh, That's we're documenting it all the way through. Yeah, we got front row seats to see it all happen. But it's new. It's new. Yeah, it's new right now. Yes. Not it hasn't been mapped out yet. Right. Cartographers. That's what we are. Yeah, we're we are eminent or eminent cartographer. Anyway, this was a good one. Yes, sir. So we're back on track now. We'll see. I will uh, be we'll back be, next week. I love that. It left a void, you know, sitting there oh, to talk to on oh, Sunday yeah. morning. All right. Yeah. Welcome back and I will okay. talk to you next week. Bye. Thanks, Dan. Bye bye.